I would like to keep the headphones on because it makes it easier for me. Well, I'll go right ahead. That's fine. I normally, like I said, I normally don't have that because I just throw mine off to the side. And yeah. also, most people I interview have a studio, but it's not an audio studio, so they don't have studio headphones. Uh, yeah, well, I do uh, live streams and stuff. Yeah, so it works out, or at least plays into your favor. Yeah, and I used to record music, too. Um, so that's part of it. Yeah, I, no I normally don't have people that say they used to record music. Yeah. It, it, I don't think a lot of people draw the, the distinction of former in this case. It's either, like, yeah, I make music or I don't. Most, most in my experience. That's yeah. what most people would say. For me, it's... Uh it's significant because ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a rock star. Because uh, who doesn't? Well, but I took it a little further than most. So I, I played guitar and wrote songs all through my teen years and then my 20s. And I worked at a guitar shop for about five years in my 20s. <clears throat> and I really tried. I mean, I, I wrote a lot of songs and performed a lot. And I got really disillusioned and jaded about that. And so... When I started doing visual art, I kind of just let it fall by the wayside. So, yeah. All right. So you saw me hit the record button a second ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, I, I sometimes I just like people don't notice, or I yeah. just do it in some no, way no, when they're not. looking off somewhere else. So, um, my name is Thomas Zachary. This is the KAAMP, the Knox Knoxville Area Artist Networking Platform. Uh, this is a podcast where I hope people can discover their next favorite local artist if they choose to listen in the first place. Uh, today is December 27th, 8th, something like that. And I know I've said it a couple times already this year, but this is legit the last recording of 2021. Uh... The world is funny, and sometimes things slip out of reach, and this has been one of those things. I've been trying to wrangle you to get in front of my microphone for, what, like, four or five months now? Since it's like been August, a long time, and like it's that. my fault. It's my fault that we haven't been able to connect. So. Well, the, this isn't me pointing fingers. <laughs> this is just me uh, stating the obvious for the people that don't know. Uh, it's good to sit here on your front porch and uh, enjoy the sights and sounds and Hopefully y'all get to enjoy some of the sounds as well because there's birds and light rain and all kinds of glorious outdoor noises that we get to enjoy right now. Um, friend, if you will introduce yourself, tell us your pronouns if you got some, tell us what kind of art you make, tell us uh, a little bit. Yeah, uh, okay, well, um, I'm Arthur Hatton. Um, people just call me Arthur. Um, and I use he, his pronouns. Um, and I am a visual artist. I use mostly, mostly watercolor. Uh, I do some egg tempera. And uh, that's what I've been doing today, actually. I pulled that out for the first time in a long time. Yeah, I saw that earlier today, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's kind of a little bit of an experiment. But um, I, hopefully the rain isn't too loud. Well, um, if it is, so be it. Uh, I, I, mean, I kind of like it. We're outside. I, I kind of like it. it. It's better than the occasional like motorcycle or loud truck noise that I get when I set up outside. So yeah, yeah, mm. it's not an urban sound. We're we're definitely out in the country. You might even hear like a mooing cow at some point. I did see plenty of livestock on the way out. <laughs> yeah, here, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I've done egg tempera, and that's partly because I've I was trained in iconography, Eastern Orthodox iconography, which uses um, egg tempera traditionally. So I learned how to do that. And uh, now I just pull it out every now and then just when I'm, I have a lot of free time. Uh, 
Because egg tempera is a really tedious medium. Is is that mediums uh, exclusive with that topic? Because that's what would have been used back in the day, so to speak. Yeah. So do you mean like it's traditionally the medium of choice for iconographers because like pre-Renaissance, that was the yeah. medium. That, that's the question I'm asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, they've like the style developed in such a way that it still is the right medium for iconography. You can use acrylics, but um, but yeah, most most real quote unquote iconographers still use egg. And is that because the white itself just takes pigment so well and okay so i'll stop making assumptions please tell me why this works best for this yeah yeah no no no. it's fine um so you can't blend with egg tempera but you can put down a lot of layers um so one after the other so you'll put down a base layer and then you put down another layer and a layer 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 and so the style of um putting kind of highlights on top of darks is very kind of signature for that for that style and there's a religious theological significance too so the idea is like you're painting with light so you start with a really dark muted base and then each layer kind of enlightens the figure so yeah that makes sense for a religious context yeah in in that context it makes a lot of sense so does the tempera play on itself between so if you lay it down a new layer on top of the previous layer does it mess with the previous layer that much does it rehydrate any in any way yeah that's actually a really good question it does well if you pass quickly then it doesn't disturb the lower layer but if you pass over a previous layer and wet it and then keep scrubbing at it it will yeah. pull up the lower layer so there's kind of a finesse to the, it yeah, yeah. The, I, the finesse is one of those things that I like to poke at the context and see where it lies because no matter what you're using there's a finesse to it yeah it's just if the person i'm talking to has discovered it yeah and knows enough to play with it or not and that's just one of those things where you're just like you know well shit i i can make it do the thing i need it to do right now and if i do this other thing it's just you know off in the wind and it's ruined there's well, a, that thin line is it's yeah. fun to discover when you're starting out with egg tempera it'll make you want to um toss it off a cliff i mean i've almost done that yeah really Mm -hmm. second story window oh yeah yeah i mean it it's it's enraging but once you figure it out and and uh kind of work with it then it it can work in your favor uh that that is probably you know it from things you can use a brush with that's probably one of the things i've used the least and that's right above uh, or right below watercolor on the list, depending on mm. how you want to sort this list. Mm-hmm. And I see you use watercolors all the time, masterfully. Uh, and and it's one of those things where if I were to lay in bed thinking about things at night that make me jealous, then that would be one one of the watercolor? things. Watercolor? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, I mean, so I started painting watercolor, believe it or not, because some iconographers uh, told me that that was really the, the best teacher for, for egg because even though it's kind of reverse, like you have to think about the ground of it. So mm-hmm. the ground is white and it kind of shines up through the layers. And so it's the same thing with watercolor. So you have to think about how many layers you've put down and each kind of accretion or layer changes, I guess, the opacity 
between you and the ground. So right. It's. And I, I really appreciate how you present your process with the watercolors. Mm -hmm. You show people a lot of the layers and the difference between layer three and layer four, five, six. And, you know, I think that distinction is very important because you'll see a lot of people when they present their workflow, here's the first, you know, two, three hours of my workflow. And then here's the last two or three. And there's not yeah. a whole lot of in between. But the distinction is important. And I feel a lot of people forget that. Well... I think that plays well for like Instagram where you want to have like this punchy, like here's the first few seconds and then like poof and then you've got this final amazing thing. But True. I I just like, when I make a video of my process, like I like to watch it. It just, it seems really relaxing to me. So mm. just seeing it kind of slowly build and. Yeah, you, you do a lot more still shots and my workflow is a bit more continuous, so I use time lapses if I'm oh, trying yeah. to document more often than not. And, uh, you know, still shots will be at the beginning or when I stop or, you know, at the end. So the, the difference in these workflows is entertaining to me. Yeah. So I, I like seeing the difference in the different ways it can be illustrated, no pun intended. Um, I enjoy watching time lapses of lots of things uh not, not just artistic stuff but when people can lay down a really well put together time lapse mm -hmm. about whatever it is they're working on i'm just like, yes yeah you know, i'd like cheer them a little in my head because there's you know on the back side of the, making that medium adjacent to the medium you're trying to make you also have the envelope of skills that are you know videography and then actually editing if you need to and then if you're going to put a score music to it then so be it you know there's a whole other arena of of skills one must at least dabble in to get this stuff right yeah i i could do time uh time lapses but i it's just so tedious and i'm so impatient <laughs> just my temperament is just not well suited for that stuff so would you <laughs> You seem to have a temperament of a saint at times, so to hear you say that is, is also entertaining to me. The contradiction is the entertaining part. I, I guess I'm an enigma. I don't know. I, I am a really... So, one thing about me that I didn't mention, I am a psychologist by day, and um, I do mindfulness meditation groups mm -hmm. as part of my practice, so I'll, I do groups at UT for the students, and I tell them... You know, a lot of people say, oh, I can't do meditation because um, I can't sit still. Um, I, I feel like that's a really common one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't sit still. I can't make my mind go blank. And I tell them, if I can do it, you can do it. Because I am I might not come across this way, but I'm an incredibly high-strung person internally. You, you definitely don't. Like, no, that's not outwardly <laughs> know, visible. So you do a really good job. I seem like a hippie, probably, I know. But, like, internally, I'm just like, uh, you. I mean... This I know it's a podcast, but my son one time he came to me and he said, "Hey, Dad, I look like you," and he was bouncing his leg up and down <laughs> like this. I said, "Okay, yep, 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 yep." Got, got me, nailed it. Yeah, I'm also guilty of such fidgets. So yeah, that, yeah, so there's that. <laughs> so I guess I guess I can lay into the normal bit of questions now. Um, what started your creative journey? Like where? Where did you pick up a brush or a pencil at first, you know, in your childhood or wherever it may be? Yeah, so I was thinking about this this morning because I was anticipating you coming over and I was just like, when did I get started? Because <laughs> I only started painting in earnest. Like, I am going to learn how to do art in 2017 or so, maybe 2016. 
Um, and that was just at the end of grad school. I was just like, okay, in grad school, it's just like you work so many hours and you never give yourself a break. And it was winding down and I was telling myself, okay, if I took all this energy and just put it into something that's for my own benefit, what would it be? And I was sick of music at that time. So it's like, I'm going to learn how to paint. And part of it was, <laughs> this might sound funny, but, um, I wanted original artwork, but I couldn't afford to buy it. So I was like, I'll just try to make it and see how to make it. Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> I, I mean, so I, I have a parallel in my creative desire in the fact that I really like making things that I've never seen before. Oh, yeah. R regardless of the end product being expensive or inaccessible, whatever. I, I like that's irrelevant to me. It's have I seen this before or not? This this arrangement, this shape, this combination of whatever's. If I if the answer is no to any of those questions, then like there, there's a fire under my ass. Just mm -hmm. like I got to do it now because if I don't make it, I'll never see it. I can't yeah. trust anybody else to do this for me. Like I have to do it. I, I relate to that to an extent. I mean, when I watch somebody do something and it looks cool to me, I'm like, I want to do that. I mean, even when I was a musician, I I loved the Beatles. I love prog musicians and all these musicians and when I see them on stage playing I'm like I want to do that right I, I want to be up there um I'm still like that three-year-old it's just like I want to do it um no no let me do it yeah, yeah, yeah let me yeah, do yeah, it yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like I never really lost that that's awesome so kudos yeah. on that yeah 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 um my it makes my wife just puzzled because she's just satisfied watching somebody do something mm. but for me it's just like no I got to do it so anyway so I was thinking, okay, so when did I really start drawing? And I, I really did start drawing ever since I was little. Um, I loved Calvin and Hobbes. Um, that was just one of my favorite things. And I wanted to draw little comics and cartoons. And so I started out drawing those. And I would do little comic strips or cartoons just on my notes. Whatever free scrap of paper you had close, it, close at hand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And... Um, I liked doing portraits even when I was younger, and I, I've always been fascinated with faces and expressions and bodies and stuff. And so, so I always loved like seeing if I could hit that. Like if I can get the pieces of the face right, it looks like the person. Right. I, I love that likeness, that zone of likeness where. You know, if, if you're a centimeter off on the eye, it doesn't look like the person anymore. But somehow, if you get the elements right, it looks like the person. And so, I don't know. I know I'm a psychologist, but I don't know what's going on in your brain. Um, the uncanny valley. Like, you try to... Yeah. yeah. That This cingulate gyrus angle, angle... I don't know. I don't know. It's been a while since I studied brain. But there's one part of your brain that recognizes faces. Um, and uh, that's the part of your brain that sees faces in like outlets and the front of a car and, and stuff. There's, 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 I don't know if it's an affliction or what you would call it, but there's a, I guess a syndrome that has been named that details, you know, it describes that you're one of those people that sees faces in inanimate objects and in places where there aren't designed to be faces. Yeah, that's true. And uh, for my job as a psychologist, I do study faces and I'm looking at expressions and body language. And so I spend a lot of my time staring at people's faces really um as my job so i just i love faces i know that sounds bizarre but are, are they always when you see a face is it the whole thing or is it the parts um because you're describing the parts and how they meet the whole but how do you look at them when you're looking at them 
Yeah. I've never thought about this. No. Let, me, let me think about it. Let me think about it. Yay, original questions. Well, I think when you start out as a portrait artist, you you lose the forest for the trees, and so you are focused on like this eye, and then this eye, and then the nose. Right. That's that's where I think a lot of beginner portrait artists mess up because you've got all these well, even if they're well drawn elements, if they're not in the right arrangement, they're right. not going to work. So I think over time, oh, there's a train. Yeah. Huh. Wow. We can hear that real well. Yeah, I usually don't hear that, uh, so that's interesting. Train noises, everybody. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, uh, so I think over time, I look more at shapes. I remember you interviewed Kara Lockmiller, mm -hmm. and I listened to that interview, and she and I look at faces kind of similarly. I wish... I had another hour to sit down and talk with her because uh -huh. uh, I would really like to pick her brain about what happens between that like aha moment mm -hmm. and getting what you feel needs to come out of your fingers out of your fingers. Mm -hmm. Because she, uh, if if you haven't listened, she's a synesthete and uh, she paints what she sees in her mind when she listens to music or watches a movie or any, any of those kind of things, when she consumes media. And that aspect of being a human just across you know all the things that encompasses being human i think is so much fun to talk about because mm -hmm. everybody has a different experience of themselves inside their head and that one uh i can really relate to so out of out of a lot of the people i've interviewed so far like she she pulls the things out of her head more accurately than most people I've ever met in my artistic journeys. She she's really intuitive yeah. um, and insightful. Yeah. So when I heard her describing the process, I was kind of like, okay, I kind of relate to that because I am looking at zones of the face and planes and regions. Um, but she she takes it to another level because she's seeing colors and mm -hmm. and it's not the way that she. I know this this podcast isn't about her, but she'll. I, she would laugh if she heard this or when she hears this, but you know, you can just run a, a Photoshop filter through an image and get kind of like a posterized yeah. zones, but she takes it to another level. The colors she's seeing are so different that you can't simulate that with an AI or something. It's just so no. unique. I, I really like, and I like her as a person. She's nice. So yeah, I, I enjoyed my conversation and an hour or so we spent, you know, on each side of the microphone. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the way she ends up executing her work is very detailed, and it would be hard to replicate in any other fashion. You mm -hmm. know, from, from what I can tell in the digital skills that I have, I would hate to try and sit down and do that on the computer. Mm -hmm. It would yeah. be no fun, for me at least. I'm sure someone would enjoy it, but that person's definitely not me. Mm. So, kid, pencils, yeah. paper, watercolor, what, what was the first thing? Was it just pens and pencils and markers and all the normal normal stuff? Yeah, pens and pencils, and I did a little acrylic stuff, and I liked watching Bob Ross, and so I kind of imitated what he was doing, you know, like the trees with the little chick, 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 chick. yeah, with the, with the fan brush and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then I remember as a teenager, it was really deliberate because I was thinking, okay, I can't focus on art and music at the same time, and so what am I going to do? And I and it was music, um, and so I, then I just started writing songs, and I was playing instruments and trying to figure out how I was going to do that and go to school and all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, then it kind of fell by the wayside for a little bit. Would you, would you say in your experience as a creative person, uh, 
music scratch the same itch or was just the thing you were doing then slash nowish like mm-hmm. you know was that you know you chose to do that was that was that because it was more fulfilling or is it just the thing you chose to do um it does so does it scratch the same itch it's a venn diagram uh yeah where the shared elements are i still like thinking about people and how they think and expressing myself and making observations about the world and so those things are going to be the same but music it does activate kind of a different part of your brain and you know it's the rhythms and something about the catchiness of it isn't replicated for me with art so i can look at a painting and walk away and it kind of has an effect on me but i hear a song and then that earworm is stuck in there for hours the, and hours the earworms that's a different process yeah. that's i don't know if i'm explaining myself very well but that seems like a different thing where you're you're craving kind of a catchiness that sticks in your head that i don't get from art so okay so on on the flip side of that uh creating media mm-hmm. do aspects or traits of a piece of music or a picture you're trying to paint do those stick in your head until they're practiced out because it happens to me um not in the same way so if you if you experience that part so i will say that um when i'm engaged in creating a piece i do get into that zone and then it's hard for me to get out of it Mm. and so today like when i got lunch i was in the middle of painting and like i went in and like threw peanut butter on a piece of bread and then went right back out and I just I can't stop until the piece is done. Yeah. So there is that like single mindedness that happens. So in, in my experience being a creative person I get pictures in my head and they don't stop being mm. in my head and they uh, the longer they sit between my ears the more disruptive to my everyday thought patterns they become mm. until I either get supremely frustrated with it and it just invades anything that happens in my brain in the course of a day or it like i'm not gonna it will i will say everything short of manifesting as physical pain mm. because uh it's an intense physical feeling that i have when i need to draw or create or sketch something when i need to get an idea out of here and out of my fingertips like it, it's almost a physical pain. Like it's a, mm. it's a sensation that I feel. I, mm. I won't say pain, but it's definitely a physical sensation that I feel in myself. That uh, it, it tells me that I need to do something. Like there's, there's a frustration or a drive there that, mm-hmm. you know, I got to do this. And the longer I don't do the thing, the, the more perturbed the idea gets at me for not letting it out. Mm. And that's interesting because the work you do is pretty abstract, but it's intricate, too. Mm. So are you seeing the pictures in your mind? Are um, you seeing the patterns? Sometimes, yeah. And, and it's not the same for every piece. Um, sometimes, if it's a radially geometric piece that I'm working on, I'll usually see no more than half of it. You know, mm. if, if I see a shape, it'll be a segment of the radial hole. You know, okay. I'll have, you know a sixth of a 60 degree pattern or i'll have you know if it's a if it's a square pattern i'll have that 90 degree section Mm -hmm. of it and i'll see that and i'll get that down and i work through it in process you know all the way around until i get to 
done essentially with the pattern and with the the radialness of the pattern and that those are the ones that are most often bugging me mm. but the the more surrealist things that i do come to me as whole images most of the time like they just interesting okay. they just flash into my head like um the piece i gave my sister and her fiance for christmas i started in october at a show at the outpost because i was doing a live painting and i wanted to do something more surrealist um so i wanted to do a sunset which is you know nearly cliche in a lot of mediums but that's not something i do very often because of what i make so i had this idea i knew the colors i wanted i knew the composition so all i had to do was get it out of my brain and on this canvas and i got everything done except the sun and the sunbeams themselves and it sat there for three months until this previous mm. friday morning mm. and then i took an hour and painted the sun onto the backdrop of the sunset that i'd already painted mm. and then it was done it took me three months for my brain to click and make that happen but the, that morning i woke up and i was just like that's it that's the thing i gotta do it before i forget about it oh god oh it's so interesting yeah i don't experience it like that um for me especially with watercolor it's just like I have an urge to create, and that can be overwhelming. But it's never—it's mm. never that concrete. It's just—I just feel like I don't want to sit around. I want to do something. Well, I, I have that, but it's far less often yeah, than, yeah. than the other two examples. Okay. And you know, being the creative person that we are, it's like you know, sometimes you got that—you know—you want to do something, but like, what, 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 mm -hmm. what do you do? Yeah, and. At that point, it's an exercise of the process for me, mm -hmm. instead of just um, like, well, I feel like I should sit down and draw something, so I'm just going to sit down and draw something. You know, like that's that's when I exercise the process. It's more of a discipline. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I know that my workflow and how I do my geometric pinstripey things is is good for my mental health. And there are days where I don't have an image burning to get out of my head. And it's good to sit down for two or three hours and work on something because quiets my mind. I get to practice an art form that I enjoy. All those things. And that and that those days are also good days. I just don't have an end goal in sight. You know, like mm -hmm. I don't have a shape I need to make or you know, I'll just sit down and be like, well, whatever happens happens, but trust the process mm -hmm. kind of ordeal. So okay. th those days happen for me, but far more rare than other days where I have an end goal or a, a very defined starting idea. Hmm. And and the discipline of it is also important. And I'm sure you're very disciplined in how you do your workflow because I feel like it would be very difficult for you to achieve such things if you did not have some degree of discipline in your workflow. Yeah, and so there's always something that you can paint uh, or do. Um, so yeah, I I do I do try to stay routine and I use social media to keep myself accountable in that sense. So it's just like <coughs> So there is a sense of like I want to keep going, I want to do something and a lot of times it's driven by dissatisfaction with the last thing that I did. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't often suffer that, but I understand the feeling. Yeah, no, uh, no, that's that's more of a driving factor than anything. It's just like I'll finish something. And I'm like, it's OK, but I can do better than that. So then I have to do another thing. And that's it's more of me competing with myself, I guess. 
I usually have that concern when I set out to do a series. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, man, it's going to do five or six of these. And then, like, number six comes. I'm like, damn it. Yeah. And then, you know, I guess I'm on to number seven now. Mm-hmm. And then that one goes to the trash. You uh-huh. know. Interesting. Yeah, no, I'm I'm constantly, like, really dissatisfied with what I'm doing, so... That's a that's a big thing. That's probably not a mentally healthy thing. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, I feel as if you have the tools to combat such things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as a psychologist, I try to be really mindful of what I'm thinking and what I'm doing and try not to be too critical. But even when I, my mind gets pretty critical, I just kind of acknowledge that because that's the part of your brain that really... Um, just wants you to do better and improve yourself and as long as you don't feed that beast too much it can be a healthy part of i guess what you're doing yeah i really try not to break myself over the coals uh except when i mess up in such a way that it forces me to replicate the mess up in the rest of the pattern oh (laughs) oh god like if i accidentally just you know drop the the end of the paintbrush on the canvas right here that means sometimes I have to do it 11, 12, 16 other places. And I'm just like, oh, you know, like. Interesting. Uh, so I, I get critical of my mistakes in that way because then I'm forced to make it look intentional. Yeah, there's a Miles Davis quote about that where it's just like, if you make a mistake in the first verse, just do it in the second verse and they'll just think you did it on purpose the yeah. first time. Yeah, uh, I've, I've heard similar notions about writing music. You know, make it sound intentional by repeating. Yeah. It yeah. works out. And it also it also works in uh, geometric artwork as well. So, you know, yeah. whatever, it works out. All right, cool. Um, I, what? More train noises. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Um where else have you put your creative energy uh artistically speaking outside of music uh, you know traditional artistic mediums have you played with you know clay have you sculpted any ad- ad- additive processes any of those kind of things you know that's a good question um i have dabbled in a couple things but like i've i've done a couple this sounds off the wall i guess but uh, there's a Mexican tradition of creating nichos, which are little boxes with like kind of dioramas inside uh, with different saints and icons and stuff. And I'm not Roman Catholic, but I've made a couple of those because I thought the concept was interesting. Um, so, and I've done a little bit of wood carving because I like watching wood carving. I just wanted to try it, um, which is not additive. It's famously famously subtractive. subtractive. Yeah. Well, I, that that was probably a word that isn't best suited for the question I was trying to ask. Oh, yeah, I, I'm I just it. really used to additive processes when I play with robots. So, there's yeah. that. But I, I will say that generally I'm a creative person. Um, and so anything I'm doing, I usually, when I'm at work, I shouldn't tell on myself, but I like to make little, like, prank labels to put on things. And <laughs> so there was a... There was one year when we lost a couple um, psychologists who had um, like quit and taken other jobs, and so there were two empty offices next to mine, and so. Oh, so I, you couldn't resist, could you? Yeah, so ah. I replaced the door labels. One was uh, Counselor Deanna Troy, and then Dr. Fraser Crane, and then there's a trash can somewhere that says um, bottles and cans. And so I made a sign that said, just clap your hands. Uh, just, <laughs> so yeah, my coworkers are always finding, sometimes finding little notes that I've created or 
joke things. Um, I, I just approach life very creatively where I'm just trying to make some new thing. I just, I get really restless otherwise. Yeah, every now and again we'll find a, um, at, in, in my professional environment, uh, I, I work around and with a lot of tools that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that uh, aid themselves and uh, to making ridiculous things. Mm-hmm. And every now and then we'll find a ridiculous sticker or label or something somewhere that you wouldn't have thought anybody would think to stick something. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and we, yeah, everybody that I work with is guilty of putting some silly sticker somewhere and then we find it and we're like, what the hell is this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like that stuff. I just like... I like pranks that don't hurt anybody or humiliate people. So. Yeah, we're a bunch of goofballs. So yeah, yeah. yeah. There's there's plenty of humor in my work day. Yeah, which that's is good. good. That's good. Um, so music wise, what what have you done? Guitar, uh, drums? No drums? Not a lot of drums. Bass and some keys and guitar mostly. Any anything on the outlier of this list? Um, I played viola uh, in an orchestra when I was little, um, and then almost into my teen years, but uh, it wasn't really, um, I didn't didn't continue it past that. So, what are the differences in your workflow when it comes to creating visual art versus, you know, music? Music is a whole lot more intuitive for me, and so... With music, I did have something a little more similar to what you're describing, where I really would just get a song that just pops into my head and then I'd write it down. Um, Or I'd have a dream or something where a melody or something would be stuck in there. Um, I used to be in a band with another guy who wrote songs and he he was more in the discipline side where he, he was just always writing songs, writing, writing, writing. And I would write maybe two a year. But um, after 20 years, that's a lot of songs. so, and I would try to just like force myself to write, but I, I just couldn't force writing songs. Whereas with artwork, I can. It's just like, oh, I'm just going to paint something. And right. I'll just find a screenshot of something or just paint a bowl of fruit at home or something. But I couldn't do that with music. Maybe I would have been a better songwriter if I had access to that side where it was the discipline of just like the grind. But. I just didn't have it, have that part. Do you ever try to force yourself to sit down and do that on any sort of regular basis? Or did you just recognize that's how you operate? Um, Yeah, but it would always turn out derivative or like, oh, that's another song that I... Sounds like something I've heard or done before. Right, right. Part of the problem with music, it just feels like with pop, popular forms of music, like a a lot of things have already been said and so you know 12 bar blues or you know standard chord progressions you can only say so much and i i the last time i recorded an album the first song one of the lyrics was like i can't say anything that the beatles or bob dylan didn't already say basically (laughs) it's just we're all kind of repeating ourselves at this point and when you have such a huge body of work like where do you find the niche that you're going to dive into to make your original content like in comparison to artists like that that have giant bodies of work that covered you know all the topics it seems like yeah um yeah i mean there are seven notes right or 12 notes or whatever i mean there are only so many depending on you know the key you're in and so i don't know art just seems so 
more dynamic and versatile to me now. I, I wouldn't have thought that when I was a musician, but it just seems like there's so much more you can do and say, or at least I can with the art. So. And that, and, and that, did that stifle your creativity in music at all? Or did it just make you recognize that this is where you're at with your music and then that pushed you to create more, you know, visual art? It did stifle me. And, but the other, uh, I, I would say the reason I stopped doing music was more about the fact that nobody pays for music anymore. You can't really make a live, very good living unless you're like a professional performance musician where you're a guitar player that just practices eight hours a day. Or right. Um, and so with art, within one year of painting, I had made hundreds of dollars uh, and I never broke even with music. I never even broke even. I mean, I recorded albums and I played shows and it was painful and just getting somebody to try to trying to get somebody to go to a show. Right. But uh, so, yeah, it's just I don't think people this is going to sound weird, but I don't think people value music the way they do visual art. Um, there's a Bruce Dickinson had a quote from Iron Maiden. Yeah. He, very familiar with Iron Maiden. Oh, good, good, good. Yes, yes. I mean, he said something like people would go to his shows and they would buy a $5 Monster Energy drink and sit there and drink it, but they wouldn't spend $1 on a song buying a song from Iron Maiden. But they'll spend 60 bucks on a 2XL t-shirt because it's an Iron Maiden t-shirt. Yeah, but it does. Yeah, and that is true, but it doesn't pay the bills. Right, the you, can't, you can't totally live off the merch sales. Right, and so... Um, People love music and they listen to it all the time, but I, I think that they're just, for some reason, not willing to fork out cash for songs. There are some, but they're anomalies, right? Yeah. They, they just stream it or get it for free somewhere. I, I think marketing music these days is also really funny and probably messes with people's pocketbook you know, tendencies because there are so many places that one could hypothetically listen to things for free and then when you see a, a label on it that says 99 cents mm-hmm. uh, you you know why buy the cow you got the milk mm-hmm. kind of yeah. scenario and uh, that's that's pretty sad but I feel like people always have a core group of artists or creative that they support and then it just sort of watersheds away from that core group yeah especially in music because I feel like everybody knows a musician and then some of those people will go to as many of that person's shows as possible. And then like the support wanes as you get further away from that tangible experience. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I mean, it could just be, I wasn't that good, but no, surely not. Well, I mean, I just never gathered that core of fans when I was a musician or songwriter. Um, my mom knows all my songs, my sister and my best friend, and there are a few people who listened a lot, but now as an art, a visual artist on Instagram, like I've got people who really follow me and they care about what I'm doing and they're willing to support me on Patreon and, and do other things just to hear what I have to say about things, which is incredibly validating and it's something I never did have with music. So it really could be I'm just better at art than I, than I ever was at music, but it could also be there's just something about the medium that it's, I don't know, that people value with their time and money differently than music. You know, I've, I've never 
been presented the thought or had the thought cross my mind that people uh, support different mediums in different ways. Like mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm a fan of X, I'm probably going to be the same degree of fan of Y mm-hmm. and everything else. But I'm not everyone, and that makes perfect sense because people have preferences, mm-hmm. and I I just forget that sometimes. So that that I'll have to remember that. Yeah, I don't know what to account for that other than it's just the medium matters, I yeah. guess. Um, how people consume it, where they can get it. So, yeah. I also feel uh, as if portraiture itself is so immediately tangible mm-hmm. as as um, as an artistic output, as um, context for artistic expression, and as content itself, because you have a face, I have a face. Most people we know have faces, and most people we know also spend a lot of time in their day looking at other people's faces. Mm-hmm. So I feel, I feel like there's a lot of common ground that t- that is already established and concrete. You know, when someone looks at a, a piece of portraiture, and if you aren't looking at a piece of portraiture, maybe there's a metaphorical bridge you need to build to the context or subject matter of this piece of art. So there, I, I feel like that goes a long way, especially I, if it's good portraiture. I think another part of it is um, doing art on social media makes so little of a demand on a person. So if I say, hey, I, li- I wrote a song, listen to this, I just took five minutes of your day. Yeah. But if I post something on Instagram, you look at it for a second and hit like and then move on. And so I've made a lot less of a demand on you and the, the stakes are lower because if I say, hey, here's a song I wrote, and you sit there for five minutes, it's not very good. It's just like, man, you just wasted five I'm minutes. I'm never getting those back. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Um, and there are a lot of really bad songs out there where even a bad painting, you can just say, oh, that's cool, and then just move on. Mm. Um, so there is that part of it. I mean, maybe art is cheaper, and therefore it's... I, I mean, consuming art is cheaper. It just takes a second of your day versus five minutes of your day. I don't know. I've discovered that it's hard harder for people to see the value in things that are more abstract Mm -hmm. because they don't understand why it has value in the first place like Mm. uh, if you were to set a piece of your work and a piece of my work on a wall same price tag side by side I feel as if my abstract geometric psychedelic whatever you want to call it which I try not to label it because it just is what it is Mm -hmm. and then you have your portraiture on the wall I feel as if yours would sell first because it's it's tangible there is uh, there's more established connection between the person standing and viewing and the subject matter on the canvas because you can relate to a picture of someone more than you can relate to a picture of whatever the hell that is so I would have guessed the opposite and I'm not saying you're wrong I just would assume that like something abstract or geometric is more universal whereas with portraits if you know the person and you're a fan of that thing so if i do like a celebrity and somebody's a fan they'll want to buy it Mm. but if you don't know who it is and you don't know why it's special like you don't care i would love to do this as an experiment yes yes, yeah yeah yeah, i would love to do this but but also with portraiture like portraiture can be an art form in itself where you don't need to know who the person is if the composition's good right 
and the expression is relatable, then it, um, it, it would sell probably. But a lot of the stuff I do is either really niche or it's a painting of someone I know. And unless you have like an emotional investment in that person, maybe it wouldn't sell. I don't know. Or maybe it's all the same. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> we can we can double blind this. I'm sure some, <laughs> maybe. somehow. Uh, I'm not willing to design the experiment. Yeah. I'm just happily stating that I would enjoy watching. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, from selling my artwork for the past, I don't know, seven or eight years and being in the same area as, as people that, uh, do similar things as what you do. I've, I've noticed certain trends of buyers is, is what I'm saying, I suppose. Um, but you know, I still sell things. Everybody else still sells things. So yeah, at the end of the day, yeah. it's not a big deal. It's just a, a funny bit of friction that I've noticed in in uh, trends with mm-hmm. people and their money. Well, fan art sells really well. It so does. I'll, I'll say if I if I like something and I paint it and I put it on Reddit in the subreddit for that thing, oh, it'll sell. They, it gets eat up. Yeah. So that's kind of seductive as an artist to and, target and, that. And I've done the same thing. Like, uh, you know, th- there are lots of unusual and s- psychedelic artwork subreddits out there that mm-hmm. I frequent and have posted in. And some of those posts are my most upvoted posts in my Reddit history. So yeah, you know, yeah. that's great. Nobody cares that my opinions are posted on the internet. They just want to see those pretty pictures. So it's fine. But I, I shouldn't say that like the pop art I do, it's not so calculated. I'm not doing it because it sells or else I would do dog portraits, right? Right. Because um, those are surefire. Yeah. Right I mean, you People can, love dog portraits. If you can do dog portraits, God bless you. I've, uh, d- I've done one okay. my, my entire life, and it was a gift. Yeah, yeah I've, I've done a couple just as gift for people, but I... I shouldn't even mention that because then people ask me to do it. I just hey, Arthur, like, will you do me a dog yeah, portrait? No, Here's a picture I, of my dog. I'm not that. I don't. People are going to start sending pictures of their dog <laughs> when you request reference <laughs> the way you do. Somebody already did. Uh, uh, yeah, yesterday. They, they but beat us to it. It was actually a good picture. But anyway. <laughs> no, I, I think like, okay, I love pop art and I like Andy Warhol, but I'd like to do it as... For me, it really is an artistic expression. And so, um, you know, uh, I have a friend who says something about like calling calling it commercial art. And I don't think it's commercial art. I like to do like get a an expression from a TV show or like a scene that's kind of a little obscure. I really like how you pull the screenshots as inspiration from SNL. Yeah. Because you, you really get... Like that moment when somebody, uh, you know, yeah, you like I, to pull those very expressive, very contorted, like those tense moments. I love those. Just those really, uh, oh, my family's home. Um, yeah, those really. We can hit pause if you. If no, you no, 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 it's, it's right. fine. Um, I don't care. They're just my kids. Uh, All right, whatever. No, uh, yeah, I, I love finding those moments, but it's funny. So, like, for instance, I did a. a painting of Jan from The Office mm-hmm. from the Dinner Party episode is really famous, but it was a, uh, a screenshot nobody had ever memed before or anything, and I thought it was cool. And I painted it and I put it online and it got really popular, and then somebody else said, oh, you should do an Office series. I was like, what? Why would I do that? What, what do you think that I'm doing right now? Right. Because I'm not doing an Office series. I like doing faces, and so 
TV shows are a great place to do faces that are emotionally evocative, but I'm not... And they're usually pretty well lit being on set. Yeah, great lighting, great expressions, people who are trained in doing facial expressions, but I'm not doing fan art that's a series of office things. That's right. not what I'm doing. That 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 is not why you sat down to make that piece. Right. I'm not office painting guy. Right. I'm... I'm just a that, guy that likes some pop art. That's that's the thing you wanted to paint. Yeah. yeah. Not not like I'm going to paint. Is that pretentious? Does that come across as really pretentious? Uh, I don't know because <laughs> I have the same point of view. Like uh, if I see something and I want to recreate it in my hand, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't care. You know, if if someone's like, well, why'd you do it this way? You should do more of those. Like I, I did it this way because that's how I wanted to do it. So do you have the same thing as me where it's just like, as soon as it becomes an obligation or an expectation, you don't want to do it anymore. Mm. Or are you okay cranking out kind of the same thing? If people like it, you're okay keeping... I've found this to be a really touchy subject in my creative output because I'm not like retroactively spiteful in the way that I'm just like, oh, they like it. I can never do this again. Mm. If I have the opinion that I like it and then other people also like it, I'm far more likely to do another one mm. but not because they like it okay it's because i like it i made it it just happened to be well received okay yeah yeah i, I could really care less i don't create for other people uh you know i i i very much enjoy when other people like my creative output but in no way up until i decide that it is worthy of being shared does their opinion matter? And you know, that's such a luxury. And if, if you're listening and you're an artist where you're paying the bills with art and you have to do houses or dogs or whatever, God bless you, keep on trucking. But I'm just so glad that I don't have to be that person that is doing marketing research and trying to paint what, the thing that's What SEO tags do I need to oh put on gosh, this? Oh my gosh, that's just, that stuff kills me, I hate it. And I still have, going back to that theme of just, I am that three-year-old toddler where it's just like, hey, Arthur, you should paint this. And I'm like, you're not the boss of me. I'm not going to do that. I, I I get this really defiant, like, I don't know. And that's why I don't really love doing commissions either. Um, I just, I'm very, I don't know, free-spirited. Again, I don't want to sound too pretentious. But. <coughs> now, my... As I've gotten older, I'm 30 years old, as we sit right now, today, mm-hmm. um, I started taking my creative expression seriously when I was like 21, 22. Mm-hmm. And from the get-go, I recognized my workflow or creative practice was first and foremost a healthy practice for me. Now, beyond that, great. If you want to give me money for it, cool. But I've never set out to be creative for the end goal of monetary gain Mm. um now i've been commissioned pieces and of course you know you get paid for that and all that stuff as as artists generally get you know the opportunity to do so but it's never been one of those things where i've sat down like i'm gonna paint a painting and it's gonna make me money you know i've never i've never had that my expression has always been something for my positive emotional mental benefit because I recognized after I started this ordeal that 
this is a practice of mine that is helpful for me. Mm. And if I attach any other context to it in a way that it becomes mutually exclusive with that practice, then it, it's it's out the window. You know, mm. like it does not benefit me in the same way because I don't I'm not using the discipline in the same way. So I, I have to do it for me first and foremost. I mean, regardless of whether it's a commission or it's a gift or, you know, whatever that may be, how the piece comes to me or comes about is fine. But the workflow is still for my for my health. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to keep it that way or else I become like bitter and disillusioned and, you know, all the negative things that one can suffer when you're not focusing on the art itself. That. So part of that was a lesson that I learned probably too late, and I wish I hadn't. But, you know, I was a pretty depressed teenager, and I really leaned into that tortured artist concept. Mm. And so I didn't think of creativity as something that was healthy. Um, I really glamorized kind of just like, and maybe this is a rock star thing, but just like that, I'm going to be super depressed, and I don't want to get better because then my art will suffer or right. whatever and the older that I got and now that I'm a psychologist I really resist that type of thinking and I wish I hadn't wasted so many years thinking that sort of thing um, like oh I have to be tortured I have to be depressed in order to create good art mm. all the best artists were just like miserable and so I have to be like that I I know too many artists that spend that waste months and years on that attitude i don't know why i got on the soapbox just now but it's uh, something it, I'm it's a worthy about. soapbox uh i i've i've also done that you know uh there have been periods of my my creative journey that outside of the creative context of my life i've suffered you know uh intense emotional trauma and you know life mm-hmm. as as it happens to everyone can really suck sometimes and then i have to remember that i have this outlet that I can't let be corrupted by whatever other bullshit can so easily corrupt the thing that I hold dear. Mm-hmm. And once I, you know, once that bridge was established in my mind about how I need to work and how I need to keep things separate from the work that I do for myself, I got a lot better. Like, uh, not yeah. not better as in like, uh, you know, my skills became more advanced. It's just that I didn't let other things rob the joy from what I chose to do. Yeah, gosh. That is so precious. That is so precious to have that. I Well it only took me like four years to figure it out. Yeah. So, like yeah. Well that's okay. I mean it took me longer than that, but it's so precious to have that in your life and I, I love teaching people, um, my kids but also I do an art therapy group at the university and I, I do it sometimes with my mindfulness groups like using creativity as like a human endeavor that just is good for you um, thank you <laughs> my wife just turned on the porch light some assist from the yeah, inside lane yeah. uh, now I don't so it, do you know who Alex Gray is? Alex Gray no okay so if you've ever heard of the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors, it's basically his art church. Okay. Um, he's he's a world-renowned psychedelic surrealist artist. Okay. Um, he, what I'm, the reason I bring him up is because I fall in line with his ideology about how uh, art and creativity is sacred. 
but I'm not going to sit here and build a whole church that is mm-hmm. an art gallery, you know. Sure. Um, I'm not a very religious person in, in the traditional aspect, but I, I'm going to go short of saying this is a holy practice, mm-hmm. but it's very, very important to me mm-hmm. as a person, how I, how I go about my day, how I exercise my quote unquote demons as, as a creative person. And so holding such respect for the creative process and understanding that it holds a significant place in your life and how it affects you, I think is something that some artists don't ever figure out or they've got it figured out in such a way that it's not helpful for them. Like however Mm -hmm. it happens in their head is not healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think there are a lot of artists that are conventionally religious. I think, I mean, I used to be a lot more religious. Um, now, it's complicated, but it's always complicated. <laughs> but don't you sometimes feel like a conduit more than just? Uh, yeah, like one hundred percent. I've <laughs> I have a piece sitting at the end of the hallway at my house right now that I painted uh, twenty late twenty eighteen or nineteen called the conduit. Okay, and it is it is a a picture of a human brain with uh, a gap between that and a cluster of uh, psilocybin mushrooms. Okay, yeah. And, yeah. and um, there's a lot of little colored particles and waves and a lot of things, and it's called the conduit because, you know, sometimes you don't always feel as if the genesis of the idea that ended up on the canvas is 100% yours. Yeah. So I, you know, I, yeah, I almost that, feel weird taking credit for it because it's just like, yeah, it's, okay. I, I it sat just, down and I did it, you yeah. know, and I can't tell you that it's mine, but that piece is to represent when that happens, you uh-huh. know, to give yeah. that idea, that moment, that whatever, uh, you know, a physical form that you can look at. And the space between synapses in the brain is, is how I chose to illustrate where mm-hmm. this happens. So, you know, you got your brain and you got some magic mushrooms and then there's a gap between and that's where the magic happens. Yeah, yeah. That's that's where one is the conduit. You know, you are the conduit, but where does that actually happen? Well, the chemistry happens in the gap. You yeah. know, the, the, the synaptic cleft. That's where the magic happens, you know, as far as brain chemistry goes. So I couldn't just leave that out. Like, that's that absence is what the picture is about that space and what happens in it it's so interesting and i heard a a similar sentiment serge tankian Mm -hmm. lead singer of system of a down and lots of other wonderful projects yeah very familiar with the villa he he said something similar it's just like my best songs were channeled i mean Mm. it's just like and paul mccartney said a similar thing it's just like he grew up hearing all these different songs and they get digested in his head somehow and then suddenly he wakes up with a song and it's just like you just took all these elements that existed before and then they kind of just get processed and then here's the thing that That's, came out. This is honestly, I'm, I'm really glad we're talking about this. This is honestly one of my favorite things I don't do as an artist because this is a subconscious thing. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't me actively trying to come up with whatever. This is the thing my brain presented to me. Mm-hmm. Like this was a separate process. I had no idea that was happening until my subconscious was like hey dude check this out 
look at this. What do you think? It's something that happened to you. Yeah, it's it's presented to me. Like yeah. I, I had no idea that it was anything going on inside my brain other than, you know, I'm breathing, I'm eating, I'm drinking, you know, the whole nine yards to sustain great. And then it's just like, bam, mm-hmm. here's one of these. What do you think, dude? And, you know, like, <gasps> mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with it other than put it on a piece of paper. Yeah. Because that's all you can do sometimes. And I greatly enjoy when this happens because I like knowing sometimes how little control I have over what I say is my creative self. Mm-hmm. Like I, I very much enjoy playing or trying to play with where that line is because the things that I, I channel or are given to me or I, I, you know that flow through me as a conduit versus what I can craft with myself and my imagination and my hands, where's the interplay between mm-hmm. those two? I, I love it. That's if I wake up and there's a picture on my mind and I've never thought about it before, I'm way more excited to sit down and work with it than than most things that I come up with 100%, you know, in my imagination. But it's the other interesting thing is everyone has that. And I talk to a lot of people that say I'm not creative. Um, and I, as I hate when people say it's so defeatist. It's so defeatist and it's also false. Yeah. Because I'll ever say, you ever had a weird dream? And they'll say, well, yeah, I've had a weird dream. It's just like, your brain did that. Yeah, it's all you, bud. <laughs> that, that came out of your brain in the same way. So I think what people are really saying when they say, I'm not creative, is they're afraid to do something because somebody is going to make fun of them or they're going to feel bad that they didn't do a good job. And that's legitimate. And I, I think that keeps people from doing a lot of things. But one of the things as a psychologist that I'd love to do is just be able to loosen those cognitions those yeah. thoughts that like somebody's going to make fun of you you're going to humiliate yourself if you do it wrong somebody's going to criticize you yeah maybe but what does that have to do with that right anything? like that's that's totally separate of your desire and need to create or play with this idea whatever it may be i i have to separate those things like obviously i'm so familiar with my drive to create but being the person you see that's always presenting these things to the public, I'm also the first face that any negative feedback hits. Right, you of know, course. So yeah. I, I have to sit down sometimes. Like, not everybody's going to like your shit today. And, yeah. that, and that's fine. Yeah. And, and that's that's honestly a thought I have probably more often than I like this thing I just made. Mm-hmm. Because, I, you know, the polarity of it and, and the contrast of both of those experiences being attached to one physical object I try to be as aware and mindful about both sides of that experience as I possibly can. Something about managing expectations. Because yeah. I try to do that a lot. To 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 my detriment sometimes. But it's I inexplicable. I mean I mean there are things that I've wanted to like that I just can't like and if somebody doesn't like my stuff, it's it's fine. It's, yeah. it's, I can't hold that against you because I I've tried to get into Led Zeppelin, and for some reason it just doesn't hit me. But you're I like one it. of those. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's just like Black Sabbath. I like Led Zeppelin. For some, there are a couple songs, but whatever their fans are hearing, I can't hear it. But then I like other bands that just something sinks in, and yeah, it's inexplicable. <laughs> that's that's a good example, I think, because Led Zeppelin's such a popular band, like all over the world. Yeah, yeah, and for some reason it just doesn't click. But then the Beatles I love, um, Black Sabbath, and Yes, and I like prog bands, and so I don't know. It's inexplicable. So if you like Yes, do you also like Cream? I like Cream. Okay. 
But I've seen yes like three ah, times. So you have times. more of a bias. I have a big for, for the bias. yes. Yeah, you have a, you're a yes man. I'm a yes man. You're right. <laughs> oh yeah. goodness, I, I couldn't pass that one up. It, it, <laughs> it hit my brain, and I wasn't going to stop it. Uh, so let's let's get back more more to the artistic things. Uh, so is there an interplay between your professional education and your artistic inter- oh do you have any formal artistic education at all no uh, do you have any musical instruction because that that fits this envelope of a question as well no so I was never really for other than like high school art class or whatever um, I did spend one year in my training as a psychologist I was at Savannah College of Art and Design mm-hmm. as a counselor and so I met a lot of artists and I saw kind of their process and heard a lot about their process, but I've never been formally trained with the exception of I, I was trained in iconography from a couple of um, Russian trained iconographers. Um, that was just like a weird one week long thing with some mentorship. Um, that's like its own thing. It's all, that's almost completely separate from the other things I do. But um yeah, that's a long way to answer your question, but no formal training. So your professional endeavors in the industry you work in and how you conduct yourself on a daily basis, do these things have any sort of direct influence on your creative output or do they more influence the hows and the whys of your creativity? I would say probably... They... So... I have an interest in people, and so my artistic subjects are people, and I'm a psychologist, and I like thinking about people's internal states and like getting in people's heads a little bit. Um, and so that's like a shared thing between the portraiture and figure work that I do and the psychology that I do. Um, that's really the only overlap because um, they they feel like very different endeavors, but um, but yeah, I'm always trying to figure people out, and I think that it's not a coincidence that I chose portraiture versus abstract or landscapes or animals or whatever. Yeah, if I hadn't known that you were a psychologist when I, you know, if I hadn't have learned that at the same time I'd learned you were an artist of other mediums, I would have uh, I wouldn't have been surprised to have learned it. Okay, yeah, yeah. interesting. Um, is that obvious then, I guess? Uh, I wouldn't say it's that obvious. I would just say it's one of those things that's more easy for me to infer about other creative people than people that aren't creative looking at artwork. You know, I, Being a creative person and knowing the front side of these things, like I think about the front side of these things more often. So, you know, I've seen the way you frame your portraiture and how you uh, portray your people in, in your work. And it looks like there's more thoughtfulness poured into it on the front end than a lot of other portraiture that I've seen. You know, it's more it's more about what's going on on this person's face, you know, under the skin versus, oh, look at the composition, they're lighting, they're sitting in this position, they have one hard point of light from over here. Right. And, you know, it's it's more about what's behind the face, I feel like your art is, than, than the composition and the elements of art and how they're presented, you know. That's probably true, and I'm trying to work on that. Uh, like one of my favorite artists is named Nick Rungi. He's a watercolor artist and does a lot of portraits, but he really abstractifies the face and washes the eyes out. And so, 
you don't get that same like what is that person feeling it's more like oh that's a cool composition and the way that he kind of makes a face recede whereas i always paint the eyes because that's the windows of the face right. or whatever however you put it was it um, the saying the windows to the soul windows the to the soul i don't have one of those so it must not work on me a soul oh yeah, yeah. gingers yeah uh, yes. ah. uh, okay uh I don't hold that belief. Uh, I think <laughs> I, 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 I think red-haired people are valuable and good. Uh, thank and, you. Yeah, have value. As I people. enjoy playing with stereotypes and jokes and stuff. Okay, so yeah, yeah, I, that's I, fine. I, I put that on people, <laughs> and and it's sheerly my selfish delight because okay. their reaction. Like I've had some people straight up like grab my hand and start to pray. And oh no, I, really? I, oh boy, let me tell what? you. Yeah. And okay. then uh, and then I've also had people be like. Like, reach over and put their hand on my knee and just be like, no, that's not funny. And then I, I laugh in their face. Thing. Oh, it's definitely a thing. What? But I, like, <laughs> I, I put stuff on people like that just to see how they'll react sometimes. Okay, I don't yeah. care if they're strangers or not. I really don't. Okay. But that's, that's something I do because I'm selfish. I mean, one thing I found out in, Moving to Knoxville, you don't joke about Christianity oh, around no. here. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people so, like, so take like, it really seriously. That being Jesus adjacent, you know, <laughs> yeah. like not having a soul. Some people get really, yeah, really yeah, offended, yeah. and I laugh really hard and try to walk away yeah, yeah. quicker than I walked up. Um, so I, I feel like we were talking about something that led to that, and I missed it. Oh, the eyes part. Yes, the eyes. So, yeah, I mean, people really look at eyes. They I do. Mean, it it's magnetic and um you can infer a lot from the eyes and now that everyone's wearing masks even more so oh it's so funny i I love the emphasis that has been put on the 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 distance between the bridge of someone's nose and the top of their eyebrows like that that you know inch inch and a quarter and you can see people smiling at the corners of their eyes Mm -hmm. um which is a thing and there's research behind that too and then just like shifty eyes and evil eyes and so how well do you know your wife pretty well i mean okay well enough to get married not a trick question no 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 not a trick question so we've been okay so can you call her on the phone and by the way she talks knows that she is smiling oh yeah yeah of course yeah okay of course yeah There, there are people in my life i know that well yeah and i think it's wonderful because you don't even have to see them and you know that they're happy enough to smile and i think that's uh, if, if there's that repertoire between two people, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Or they say hello and you're like, what's wrong? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Th- that's the like flip side of the it. coin, yeah. yeah. But I asked that question in the way that I did to, to pose that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I also, like I said, I just throw stuff at people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, you're, that's what you're doing um, here. Yeah. And when you can, when you don't have to see something to know something, I find to be really cool. Uh, to, to, for lack of a, a better word, yeah, it's really cool to me. And like you said, you know, you have to read a person from above the mask to their eyebrows now. So if you can see someone without interacting with them or across a counter or whatever, you know, you see the the squint in the corner of their eyes, you know what's happening on the rest of their face, and mm-hmm. that's it's very um, pragmatic and also empathetic to see that on someone's face and to be able to know that as you're communicating with them because it's difficult to communicate with random someone else period because you're both yeah. people and it's communication is difficult no matter who you are but 
being able to read someone's face in such a manner is such a nice skill these days. Uh, society has forced it upon us. Yeah. I love that stuff. I love just being able to read a person's face. And I don't, I mean, I'm not the type of person that's just like, I know, always know when someone's lying. Like, I don't. But I, I just love just reading expressions and getting into what people are thinking and feeling. And, you know, one, one of the questions I get asked a lot, oh, you're a psychologist, so are you analyzing me right now? And the answer is, yes, I am. I mean, Especially since you asked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I can't turn it off. I mean, and everyone is. So it's not like I have, I've cornered the market on reading right. people. It's just like, no, I'm just a psychologist. I just talk to people until they feel better. Uh, but, but yeah, that's just, that's what I do. I love it. And then it's not just portraits, it's figures too, right? So like body language is just an extension of that. Um, mm -hmm. So that's why I do that work as well. So faces and bodies, I just, it's really interesting stuff to me. You use that subject matter so well, and I use it as a form of practice to push my comfort zone. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's your wheelhouse as far as I can tell. But to me, that's so far removed from my wheelhouse. Like, um, tangible concrete things that I interact with every day, whether it be other people, objects, vehicles, whatever. The, the tangible things in society are not the things I generally paint because mm. those are not the things that run around inside my head. I like the things I've never seen before or mm. I wouldn't encounter on a normal basis. I like the fantastical things, you know. Mm. But I do the other things to push me out of my comfort zone because you don't grow if you don't. And if you're not trying things, you're not growing. And, you know, luckily I have some friends that run a, a Knox Draw. Oh, You've right, been. yeah, yeah. And uh, those cats in that group have been an excellent place for me to uh, explore my creative workflow and expand my subject matter. And uh, I think it's I think it's an excellent practice, but it's, it, it is definitely uh, practice and yeah. occasional torture for me yeah. to draw you know tangible things in such a manner and so familiar as the human form so when i see you just you know put it out there i'm just <laughs> like oh man one day i'll get there one day yeah yeah i mean it's just focused practice that's mm. all it is i've been to Knoxville once and i loved it but you know we have to get a babysitter in order to go so it's yeah it's it's, it's, it's a little more a of an ordeal well, I mean, living where you live here, it's, uh, it, you don't set yourself up to not be. I like what you're doing, and I like all the little things that Knoxville has that like build a community. So there's the Pigeon Parade yeah. that I've been published in a couple times. And Amanda um, has done such a great job, and you've done such a great job of... I don't feel like a local musician, or a local artist, um, either one, really. Um, because I'm just in my house most of the time and I go to work and then I go home and then I work and most of the sales that I do are random people on the internet who see my stuff and so I don't think of myself as a Knoxville artist. Um, well, buddy, by my definition, you fit. Well, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I like hearing that because I don't, I don't feel like I know anybody. I don't feel like I'm part of any scene. Well, so, I'll tell you, it's more geography than anything as yeah. far as I'm concerned because... Yeah. Knoxville area is, you know, the KA and the KAAMP, and that goes from, you know, Bristol to Chattanooga, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. I mean, obviously the 
core of my guests are going to be like immediately Knoxville, Oak Ridge, Maryville, you know, Seymour, Sevierville, like that metro area. But, you know, regional artists are not off limits as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And, and you can't, it can't, you know, you got to have a little variety. So. But part, it's not just geography, right? Because part of it is just like feeling like you belong to a group, which I don't. I don't, I don't feel as if that's necessary to really? be considered a local. Like, obviously, it's nice to be somewhat invested in, in the, the community. I'm not one of the cool kids. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Well, man. you're I'm... a cool kid now. <laughs> uh, if, if this podcast and its membership is any sort of badge of cool kidness, then okay. you've got it. Well, but, uh, you know, I just, if you're here in this area and you do stuff, you're passionate about that's why i want to talk to people because my most entertaining conversations i've ever had microphone involved or not have been with individuals that are super passionate about something mm-hmm. yeah. and i feel as if the people that are passionate about the something are the most articulate about that something mm-hmm. i like to talk to articulate people about the things they're passionate about because totally. they can explain their shit yeah and that's and that's why I'm asking questions because I want to know. Like I'm not, I'm not flippantly pl- picking someone's brain just to like casually withdraw information. No, like I'm I'm here because I want to pick your brain about the things you do. It's good for you to to do that too. Yeah, it, it's it's a helpful practice for me. Uh, it's I like to share, and I'd say this creative output from the get-go is the only creative output that I've ever sat down to do that is purely for not myself. Oh. Yeah. Like, I saw or I felt that there was a need when the COVID lockdown first happened in Knoxville, you know, that people needed some form of, I'm not going to say new media because podcasting isn't new, but new media about things they would have been exposed to otherwise, Mm -hmm. but this way. Yeah. You know, there were no First Fridays for... A year and a half. You know, where are you going to go see new art? Hmm. You're not. But if you listen to podcasts and putting an interview with an artist in where you get your podcasts, you could still be exposed to that same local artist just in a different avenue. Go look them up or whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, if, if there's a link to their website, you'll hit them up and maybe you'll buy something, maybe not. But either way, you discovered said person. So hmm. that's that's. Why, that's the motivation I found within myself to do this for everyone else. Uh, cool. And I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, I'm so selfless, blah, blah, blah. Because, no, I sit here, I enjoy this. Mm-hmm. This I get my enjoyment out of it by like running around, talking to people, doing this. Because I really do enjoy talking to people. But the more important Plus all part, the income. From oh, man, the buckets of pennies. <laughs> buckets. Um, that's, the, that's why they pay you the big bucks. The big bucks. I got my first... Oh, yeah, let me... Okay. So everybody, all my listeners, just so you know, uh, I got my first ad read sponsored from Anchor last week, and cool. I put it. I put it in. I was. I didn't know you had that. That's cool. Well, it's yeah. You can once you hit a certain threshold in metrics, you're available to be part of their sponsored program. Okay. They sent me an ad. I read it. I uploaded it. They spliced it into <coughs> all of my episodes. And uh, please, in the future, know that those are a thing, and you'll hear them, and uh, skip them if you want, but they're there. Uh, it's my first ad campaign. I, re- I really would like to make this a self-sustaining thing. Of course. Uh, make some of your money back from the I, I don't care about the, the barrier to entry. That, that's on me. I wanted to spend that money. Okay. So, 
what I would like is to just have it generate enough revenue that I can pay for a dedicated studio space or outfit my basement to be a better studio space. Mm. I would very much like not to conduct the podcast in my house, mm. but I do. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the grassroots level of things right now. And that's okay. But I would like to format it in the future to where it could sustain its own space. Mm. And that's, that's really something I'm trying to push for in, in this coming year. Cool. And, uh, I'm sorry, everybody, but if you run any sort of studio space or maker studio or maker space or creative space or whatever, you're going to get a phone call and uh, you're going to hear me on the other end of the line asking for something. So just heads up. <laughs> I'm not ashamed. This podcast needs a lot of attention and mm-hmm. it needs a good, dedicated, tangible physical space for it to conduct itself. And I'm looking for it. Mm-hmm. I am scouring the internet for tangible locations. Um, so, you know, watch out, everybody. Maybe come into a studio near you. But um, we get back into the list here. Um, inspirations. Do you have inspirations uh, for your watercolor, for your musical work, uh, things that you see direct influence, indirect influence? You know, where, where do these things fall in your creative process? Yeah, so... Um there are a few artists that I typically list on this one, um, and most of them do portraiture. So Nick Rungi is one of them, um, and I've had a few exchanges with him online. You know, social media makes it easy. He'll answer a question or two for me. It's really nice because he's a busy guy. Um, every now and then, he's done a a workshop at in Townsend. There's a place that he'll he'll come by. Um, there was an Art Deco artist named Tamara Dolimpica. I don't um, know that one. She was Polish, um, but you would recognize her work if you saw it, I'm sure. Um, really iconic for that time. The turn of the century? Or yeah, yeah, okay. a little after, but yeah. Um, so, oh, uh, you, you'd recognize it. The cover of Atlas Shrugged mm. uh, is one of her paintings. Okay. Um, so she's, she's definitely got one more of the more the industrialized, brutalist sort of style versus um, Alphonse Mucha's really scripty, right? Yeah, very, very filigree-ish. Yeah, delicate. I like I like Mucha a lot, but I like her because it's so stark and sleek and stainless steel and yeah, yeah, um, brushed metals and concrete. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I like Andy Warhol. I like what he did. I I almost hesitate to call him an artist. Uh, I don't know what he was called doing. The factory, then I. Mm, <laughs> So whatever he was doing, I think it was interesting. It worked he did. for him. He he. Anyone who plays the game like that, plays a game like that, I think is interesting. Well, if he if it's a game, he won. Yeah, yeah. I think the Beatles are the same way. I mean, they were the they they had the goods to deliver, but they played the game too. John Lennon said, "If you want to be as big as the Beatles, you got to play the game." Uh, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> there's no other way to put that. <laughs> Um, let's see. Iconography is another thing. I mean, it really is like ancient portraiture. Um, so that's really big for me. Um, let's see. Who else do I like? Sorolla and everyone loves that kind of stuff. Um, Sorolla and uh, Sargent and, you know, the good, the, the amazing portrait artists. Um, yeah, those are my guys in terms of artists. 
Do you find those particular artists having a direct influence on your work? Do you see aspects of their work in your work, or do Sometimes. you just know that they're an influence of yours and your work comes out however it comes out? Um, Nick the most, um, but it's it's more subtle. But I, I think if you saw examples of all those artists, you'd be like, oh, like you'd get yeah. it. it. It is kind of like a digested amalgamation of all those types of influences. I, I draw that question, like, like I split that question in two because some people have influences that you would never know are influences in some form or fashion on their work. And then they have influences that you can be like, yeah, like you like this other dude, right? Yeah. You know, like that, there's two ways that question can go. So I like asking both ends of that question, um, you know, to, to draw parallels in, in my work. Uh, there's an Australian artist. His name's Rob Mack. He does uh, uh, pretty big dot mandalas and geometric artwork like that. And he, he makes a really good, comfortable living, you know, doing that art and I think his workflow and my workflow are really similar in the ways that we both understand that the discipline is good for our mental health and as a practice, it's 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 a good practice. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then, you know, on on the end of the spectrum that doesn't filter into my work a whole lot, um, I enjoy, you know, 40s to early 70s automotive culture. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, so that's where like a lot of the stuff. pinstripey stuff in, that, that falls into my work, you'll right. see. So, I, like, I, I grew up a car guy. My dad, uh, my dad, you know, he, he loved muscle cars, still loves muscle cars. Like, cars is one of the things that we bonded about growing up. My, my grandpa has a, or when I was growing up, had a, a service center and sold used cars. So, I was okay. always around cars and, Interesting. you know, slinging tires and, you know, whatever. Um, he used to have a dirt track car when uh, when he was in college and a little after and that was his you know company race car and you know I work in a business and and now the business I'm employed by also has a company race car so oh, you know, cool it I used to draw cars and stuff a lot when I was a kid and I'm back to playing with cars now so mm -hmm. it's, it's it's been a little bit full circle because I can remember being a kid and be like I would really like to design like race car liveries for NASCAR. Like six, seven, eight years old, I remember thinking about this, and then here I am nowadays, like making pro drift race car liveries, and cool. you know, like it, it's come full circle. And I've recently uh, realized this about myself, and I'm really happy about it. But that that is a huge influence on me that isn't uh, very obvious. You know, mm. just automotive culture in the whole, whether it comes from the engineering of things you know all the technical aspects of cars and how they're put together and why this is gusseted this way and why it's a four link blah 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 and then you know it's painted blue and it's got silver stripes and it's two stripes and one of them's asymmetrical and you know all well that, i feel like stuff. i feel like uh maybe the influence isn't obvious but now that you say it like i won't be able to unsee it in yeah your, yeah I, I and, and a lot of the people that know me well enough to know that i'm like a big car guy they'll just be like dude come on like that's 74 el camino get out of here you know yeah. like some some people my dad has looked at some of my art and be like dude i saw that on the hood of a nova once and i'm yeah. just like yeah you probably did mm -hmm. you know and 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 i'm totally okay with this because the things that distill from that inspiration down into my artwork, you know, most people aren't going to pick it out. But if you know about automotive culture and then you look at some of my artwork, you're like, oh, did you use a Mac brush to, mm -hmm. to do these lines? You bet. Interesting. And yeah. Mac brushes are 
pretty much the industry standard for anything pinstriping or coach work or any, you know any of that kind of body detailing. So, Interesting. Okay. So I've I've integrated tools from those mediums into my workflow. I just don't use enamel paints that mm. much. I have traditional enamel paints for pinstriping that I'm slowly learning and becoming more confident with, but those those brushes still work really well with mildly watered down acrylic paints and that's what i use so it, it, it i've found a happy medium between um you know paints i like and brushes i can use so it's been a lot of trial and error on that but I, i'm wondering not to change the subject but we're at an hour and a half and it's raining and i'm wondering if our audience is awake uh, like, you know, if have we like lulled oh them God. to? Sl are they like soothed by the rain right now? And leave it in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> if you're awake, leave it in the comments. Yeah, if you're awake. <laughs> oh goodness! Um, if they are indeed asleep, if you were asleep, everyone, I would love, love, <laughs> love to tell you that I feel so complimented that you are asleep at the sound of my voice and the rain. <laughs> um, I'm being facetious. I'm not. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, if, if you're asleep, then you've missed some of the episode. You can catch back up. Whatever. Yeah. You're fine. This is uh, just your first pass, so listen to it a few times. Uh, let's see. Where, let me let me try to figure out where I'm at in my, my mental list of things. Um, is your workflow, is there any part of it cathartic? I think we've already sort of covered this, but this to ask the question directly, is your workflow a healthy practice for you? Is it? Do, do you feel better when you're done? doing the thing yeah um yeah there's a beginning a middle and an end um i like just i know it's so, so superficial but you know when you post it on instagram the likes roll in and people if they like it they tell you and that feels good um i wish i had more time for it and so i like crowbar it into my schedule i mean i really have to work to get it into my schedule and so I feel like there's probably a healthier balance for me. Right now I work a really traditional Monday through Friday, eight to five schedule, but maybe one day I'll be in private practice and I'll get to do like three days art. Four days work. Four days, whatever, whatever yeah. Yeah, whatever the more healthy ratio would be. Yeah, I figure out a better ratio. But for right now I'm kind of a slave to the regular work week. Well, as long as that's fruitful for you. I mean, it seems to be doing you okay. Yeah, it's okay for me. Uh, I figure it out, yeah. Okay. Um, the influence question I got, oh, hey, more more lights. Yeah. Um, the the workflow. Um, we, we've been all over the map and answered most. So I can usually meander in and out of these <laughs> questions. Sorry uh, uh, if I've led you all over the place. No, it's fine because I, I, I can usually get to them in conversation without like, directly asking the question and being super blatant about it um i think i think we're at the point in the list where i ask you uh who you would like to hear on the podcast in the future because if you don't answer that i don't know who to put on the other side of my microphone that's a great question let me think about that it is, i do kind of put people on the spot with that one and i've had people freeze up on it so don't feel bad if you don't have an answer well no no, no. i wanted uh so the only thing is if I say someone who's already been on your podcast, then that reveals that I didn't listen to that episode. Oh, <laughs> you're, uh, well, I won't hold it against you. Uh, they, they can. I won't. Have you interviewed Amanda Money from 
the pigeon parade. No, but I have talked with her, and we are tentatively set to make that happen. Okay, okay. So there, there you go. There's one. Um, there's a woman named Lindsay who does abstract oils. Um, who I don't know her last name because I only know her from Instagram, but she's super nice to me. That's okay. You can forward me her stuff. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Um, I, well, I want to, if I can get her name, Lindsay Sharp. Okay. Then if you're listening, maybe you can find her. But she does really interesting abstracts. Who else do I like around town? Um, those are the two that come to the top of my head um, of people who I think would be engaging that you could talk to. There's uh, Santi, who was, uh, what's his name? Santiago. Um, let's see. You can put some music in the background. Oh, wow, wow. I have this wonderful, you know, rain noise. And, and the few birds that we've caught. I really enjoy the background noise we have, to be completely honest. I'll, I'll send you his information, too, because he's a really cool guy. And okay. he, he edited one of the Pigeon Parade um, issues. Okay. Um, and uh, you got Kara. She's another friend of mine. Paris, do you, have you talked uh, to Woodhull? Paris? Woodhull? I, I have not. I think I've approached her about being on the show. And she said she was really busy okay. until the beginning of the year. So I need to reach back out to well, her. Well, she is really busy. So that, as, as, that probably wasn't just blowing you off. No, I, and I didn't busy. expect that to be. Uh, it seemed a very genuine response. Yeah. So I, I wasn't upset. Uh, I, I would, If it's going to be a no, I don't want to be on your show. I'd rather you just not reply. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just, leave, just leave it hanging out there in the yeah. DM box, and then I'll get the idea. But uh, I, I generally ask... I've had a pretty good return on my asks. Okay. I haven't had a lot of people tell me no. I've had a few people tell me no, but the the person that has told me no, that gave me a good alternative, is like, I would love to have this conversation with you without the microphone, which I'm totally up for. Oh, okay. But I was just like, well, I mean, that's fine. It'd still be a fun conversation as far as I'm concerned, but like, I won't they get to share. want to off the record. Yeah, I guess, which is still fine. It's like, a little sus, as uh, my kids say. Uh, yes, it's sus. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, it's not as sus. It was, it was okay. a genuine thing. He just didn't want to be uh, on record, which is okay. fine. But he was still okay. totally up for the conversation, which I would enjoy either okay. way. So that one will be, I guess, I guess a little selfish of me to enjoy that one without a microphone. Okay. But so be it. Um... Arthur, we are at an hour and 33 and a half minutes. Um, this has been a fun conversation. If yeah. you would uh, plug your socials, tell people where they can find you, all yeah. that good stuff, and then we'll wrap it up. I'm most active on Instagram, so that's Arthur Hatton Art. Um, I do post on Reddit, but really it's just like a way to funnel people to my Instagram. Um, and then I've also got a, a Facebook, but it's just auto update. So really, Instagram is the right place to find my stuff. I have a Patreon um, that you can find a link on my Instagram. Um, and that's where people can subscribe to my close friends list uh, where I, you're on it, where mm -hmm. I kind of share personal things and just more of my process and then more uncensored nude artwork. Which oh, yes, that that one of the questions I've forgotten yeah yeah uh, do you have a body of work or a subject matter you're really like trying to hone in on or expand upon right now 
Like, uh, I know you're working on your uh, your figure series. Yeah, of, so of your yeah. own self. Yeah, so I do some of myself. Um, I've been doing a lot more male figures lately, just because I haven't in the past, and I just want to get a little more balance. So I've been focusing on that, um, and that's just been a way of just like psychologically challenging myself, and um, you know, I'm I'm just kind of. I mean, I, I, I could say a lot more about that, but I, I've got kind of a feminist part of myself where it's just like, okay, I'm a straight white male, and yeah, I have painted a lot of female nudes, hmm. which most artists have, and then I've really been challenging that, like, why? Um, Everybody likes ladies. Women and men. Yeah, I mean, that's the only answer I've got. Yeah, well, I, I really started to think about that and like why why are women kind of the object of figure art more? Um, and maybe it's obvious, but maybe there are elements of it that are not obvious. But anyway, I've been kind of just challenging that by just making men the subject of my figure work. And uh, it is different and it's weird and it can be pretty awkward. And But... Uh, Again, why is that even awkward? And challenging that question yeah. and thinking about that has been really fruitful for me. So to answer your question, yeah, that's what I've been doing lately. And and uh, any moonshot projects? Any anything big, crazy stuff you're you're kind of working on? This this one's a, a more of a mixed bag of a question. Yeah, that's that's a really good question. You know, I need to come up with something because I have done a lot of the things that I set out to do. Um, and I've painted some people and got my paintings into the hands of some people that I'm really proud of. It sounds and, like uh, it's time to shift the goalposts. Yeah, I've got to figure out what's the next thing. Um, so yeah, I, I, I need to. Maybe that's a New Year's thing for mm. me is figuring out what the next big thing would be. All right. Or maybe it's just like I've hit a groove and I want to stay in this groove because I like it and it's good. So maybe that's my moonshot. It's just. Make trying to ride the thing. groove out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All, All right. right. I think I think that's a good moonshot. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, everybody, thanks for listening. I'm Thomas Zachary. This has been another installment of the KAAMP. If you want to support, listen to another episode. That'd be fine. I'm not going to stop you. Um, in fact, I would encourage you to do so in the fanner that I am doing right now. If you want to purchase art by The Twisted Wrist, a.k.a. myself, that would be a great thing to do. It also supports the podcast in the way that I have tangible resources to throw at this. It puts gas money in my car so I can go interview people. Uh, it does all sorts of things that are good for this program. And, you know, if you would like some merch or sweatshirts or hats or t-shirts or something like that, let me know. I've got a line on some of those things, and I would like people to wear the stuff if they want to wear the stuff so y'all thank you for your support thank you for listening get at me if you want to support the show otherwise keep listening because there's ads now and they pay me small pennies and uh thank y'all very very much it's been a great day arthur any goodbyes uh yeah thanks for listening if you're really all the way to the end here thanks for listening and yeah send money send lots of money <laughs> uh this guy works really hard and and this stuff is expensive, so send money. Cash. Cash. I accept Western <laughs> Union, Venmo, PayPal, like all yeah. those things. Oh, y'all are the best. Have a good night. Thank you for listening.